Psalms chapter 10. Good to see you again tonight, and uh, appreciate everyone coming last night, enjoying the good time of fellowship. I think everybody enjoyed it. They stayed pretty well, pretty long time, so <laughs> indicate and uh, that the fellowship was good. Um, we certainly enjoyed it, and appreciate y'all coming. Psalms chapter 10. <clears throat> I'm going to read the entire psalm. Psalms chapter 10, verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? What's, what's a three-year-old's most often used word? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. His, thy judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. For I shall never be in adversity. His mouth was full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privately set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. They're using deceit. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face, but he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite. To requite it with thine hand, the poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou, thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more press. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. I pray as we look into this passage of scripture that you again teach us and encourage us and challenge us. And may we allow you to search our hearts and see if there any be, be any wicked way in me and lead us in the way everlasting. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the best methods of teaching, 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 <laughs> I just invented a new word. <clears throat> Probably my, my word will not make Webster's ever, but anyway, the best methods of teaching and counseling is to ask questions. You know, to seek out and cause one to think through their actions, through their philosophy of life. Why? 
Ecclesiastes 7.25, the Bible says, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. Proverbs 26.2 says, as the, word by, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. The curse causeless shall not come. But Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says, Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And when Job, you know, endured all the affliction that he did, and he, he continually, uh, he didn't condemn God for what was happening to him, but he did ask God, where are you? He said, I, I know he knows the way that I take, but I can't find him. And, and, and why isn't he, you know, defending my cause kind of thing? And after all that, Job and his three friends, you know, his three friends couldn't find an answer to Job. Elihu, I think, was on the right track. God never said anything about Elihu because I think Elihu had the issue pretty, right, pretty much right. You know, you can't, you, can, you know, God is higher than you, Job. God knows the end from the beginning. But God asked Job 80-some questions. Go, for example, go to Job 38. Job 38. <clears throat> I don't know how to read all of them, but, you know, it's really 30 chap, um, four chapters, 38, 39, 40, 41. Uh, in 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by word without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth? as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness as a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no farther, and here shall thy proud ways be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know its place, that it might take hold of the earth, the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal. They stand as a garment, and from the wicked their light is withholden, and high arms shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, and hast thou walked in search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee, or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest at all. So he's asking Job all these questions. He's asking Job all these questions. And as we'll see a little later, it caused Job to search his own heart in light of or in relationship to God. But, but the psalmist here starts out with, with, with a question, why? Why does God, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? 
why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? You know, Job could have asked, Lord, where are you? Why are you afar off? Why does it seem like you're hiding yourself? He said, you know, he, Job has said, I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, he's not there. On the left hand, I cannot perceive him. On the right hand, you know, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. But he said, I can't find him. And so Job would be asking, like the psalmist here, God, why does it seem like you're hiding from me? Yeah, the word stand us afar off means keeping your distance. Keeping your distance. You ever say, well, I just keep my distance from them. You know, and what you, what you really mean is that I don't want to get too close because I don't want to get involved because of some circumstances there. So you just keep your distance. Or the word hidest thou has to do to, the, to hide the eyes, to turn them away from one. Turn away from one. Now, does God not see everything? Of course God sees everything. Psalm 94 verse 9 says, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? In Luke 12, 6 and 7, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two thorns? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God knows the details about you. Even the hairs of your head. So does he not know or see everything that goes on in your life? Matthew 12, 36. He says, but I say unto you that every idol word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment so again God hears everything that we say even the fillers that we use just to make conversation in our day of corrupted speech people use a lot of fillers worthless words and so, yes, God sees, God hears, and therefore God knows everything that's going on in your life. Everything. In fact, the psalmist said, he understandeth my thoughts afar off. So it isn't that God doesn't know or is not aware of but the psalmist asks, why are you standing afar off? Or why does it seem like you're hiding your eyes from me? So we ask ourselves that question. Do we not, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, maybe you've never had this happen to you, do we not sometimes feel like, where is God? Why don't he help? You know, as we're saying, you know, we do have trials, we do have troubles, we do have burdens, and sometimes we feel like we're all alone. So why doesn't it seem he intervened? It, it's obviously obvious uh, then from other scriptures that he does not. Well, there's, there's maybe a couple reasons. So let me give you some of those tonight. First of all, we don't think we need help. 
Notice verses 2 and 3. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not at all his thoughts. So, you know, the wicked here, it says, boasteth of his heart's desire. Now, you might say, well, I'm not wicked. I'm not of the wicked. Well, that may be true in a sense, but, but we all have issues that are difficulties, or that, are, that are problems between us and the Lord, if we're honest. Let me, let me remind you of something. What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter was speaking contrary to the Lord? Get thee behind thee, me, Satan. Now, would you say, well, Peter was a wicked man. No, we wouldn't say Peter was a wicked man. But what he was saying was wicked. You remember what Job, Job told his told his, well, I'm having trouble with my words tonight. Job told his wife. You know, she said, why don't you curse God and die? And he said, you speak like a foolish woman or... And that word basically means a wicked woman. Now, I don't think she was wicked, like we think of a wicked person. But what she was saying was telling Job to sin against God. And, you know, would we have done any different in their circumstance? So many times in our pride, and, and this, is, this is really what this is, really all of it's pride, but in our pride and our resistance, our sin against God, it's wicked. It's wicked. And it says, the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Um, the Proverbs talks about a man filled with his own devices. In other words, he's full of himself. And, and you really, you know, to make the Lord Lord of your life, you have to empty yourself of your self. And that takes humility. I haven't met anyone yet, including myself, that has mastered that. Um, you know, we, it's, it's something that we human beings struggle with constantly. And, and, of course, the word pride means haughtiness or swelling up. It's, it's, the picture there is kind of like an we put on an ornament of majesty and um, you know a picture of we put on this self-proclaimed badge of superiority and we have it all together and you know we're king in our life that's what pride really is it's a swelling up of oneself you know we have it figured out it's not we who are wrong it's everyone else Notice what the you know, Bible has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs chapter 6. Oh, these are familiar verses, but Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. In chapter 13, verse 10, there's an interesting 
verse there that says, and notice this, only by pride, only by pride cometh contention. You know, what's, why do we have so much contention in our nation? Because some are, because of pride. You know, and again, I like what Ronald Reagan said, it's not that liberals are stupid, they're just smart in so many things that aren't true. Uh, but in their pride, they won't investigate or search out to logical conclusions their beliefs. They just, I know I'm right, and, you know, don't confuse me with the facts. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Uh, chapter 15, verse 25. Chapter 15, verse 25, again. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Chapter 16, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. You know, again, if you think about the word pride meaning haughtiness or swelling up, when, when you are corrected, do you bristle? Hey, little children, Little children, I've watched that little angel with red hair back there a few times. When I, just, just the other day, she was at the house, and she was going to do something, touch something, on my computer. And she put her hand up to touch one of the keys, and I said no. And I watched her. Her first reaction was just kind of like, and she kind of, you know, got a little taller. And then she and turned away. I was just waiting to see what she was going to do, you know. But, but there's that pride. It's in every one of us. And God hates it. He says it will not be unpunished. And that wouldn't have went unpunished, uh, even from Grandpa. But anyway, chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Chapter 21, verse 4, he says... A high look and a proud heart and a plowing of the wicked is sin. You know, so sometimes the reason God doesn't intervene is we're proud. We don't think we need help. We don't think we need help. You know, why didn't the kings, when they were doing evil, when they had trouble coming to them, and the prophet would come along and prophesy, and they'd say, they wouldn't, take, they wouldn't give heed, or they, they, they'd pay no attention to either that, or they'd tell them to be quiet, like Asa did to, well, I think it was Zechariah or one of them. And uh, uh, you know, it's pride. It's pride. We don't need help. We don't want God to intervene. Second reason my, why God may stand off, far off is to create an opportunity for growth in our life. Through soul searching. Now, notice verses 4 through 6. It says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Um, The judgments 
are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. Well, this is very, very prideful speaking, but, but you know, God allows sometimes or stands off, I believe, that to give us time to search our hearts. The word grievous here is means twisted. And, and again, the, the, one of the definitions talked about dancing in a circle. In other words, you're going nowhere. You're just going in circles, doing the same old thing and going nowhere. In other words, making no changes or no improvements. You know, it isn't bringing forth the fruit you want, but you just keep doing it. That's the idea. Twisted. And, and, and it goes back to God is not in all his thoughts. You know, God wants us to understand that he addresses every issue in life that every problem we face, every trial we face, every circumstance we find there, there's something applicable to it in the Bible. Either a clear commandment or a principle that has taught. But, you know, we have to be willing to search it out. We have to be willing to search it out. David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, he fought the Lord's battles, and and uh, uh, and he wanted to do everything right. And he believed, and he was right, that that, that uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant should be in Jerusalem. should be brought up back to the tabernacle. And so he endeavored to bring it up. But he devised a plan he thought best. Brand new cart. Ox had never been driven. Put it on a cart. Put two priests on the cart with it to make sure the safe passage from Beshemesh up to where it should be. The other problem is he didn't search it out to see if that's the way God said you're supposed to transport it. And it didn't work. It brought problems. God gave specific directions for the transportation of that thing. There were staves put through the rings and priests carry it. So God, God does, sometimes stands afar off. Now, I want you to think about me a little bit with, we'll go back to Job. Why did God allow Job to suffer all that he did? You know, I, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how long a period of time it was. We know that, we do know that his three friends came to him and they were so astonished at Job's condition, they sat for seven days and didn't say a word. They were so overwhelmed. 
with everything that happened to Job, they sat for seven days and didn't say a word. So, you know, did all this suffering Job went through, did it do anything for Job? That's the question. Well, go to chapter 40 of Job. Job chapter 40. Verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Go to chapter 42. Again, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, notice, I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. In other words, I said things that were beyond my intelligence level. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of Job in detail or not, but Job was not a dumb man. He's very intelligent. But he said, I've uttered things that were too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust. And ashes. You know, I believe that Job learned several things from his suffering. First of all, Job's suffering proved that man does not simply serve God because God favors him. Remember, that was the accusation Satan brought against the Lord. And Job, you know, God's grace in Job's life proved otherwise. Sorry about that. Um, Job, Job proved otherwise. Um, but it also shows that, you know, proved, and Job understood this, I believe, that God alone knows everything. God knows the end from the beginning. Therefore, we need to give heed to his counsel and trust him in all circumstances, no matter what happens in life. Even if we don't understand it. And, secondly, God never forgets about us, even though it may seem, and we may say, like Job, God, where are you? You know, Job did say, he knoweth the way that I take. So, Yes, Job learned some things from his trials. 
it caused Job to search his own heart, to prove his own faith in a real and living way. Um, but it, but go to, I want to notice another, another example here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> Uh, verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, remember when we read that verse, the curse causeless shall not come? For this cause, many are weak. And sickly among you, and many sleep. And the word sleep means they die. It's the same word used over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So it's talking about death there. They have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for the other. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So, you know, this, this uh, situation here, uh, you know, the children of Israel, or the, children of, or the uh, church at Corinth, may be wondering, what in the world is going on? Why are these people dying? Why are they sick? And Paul points that out. It's because you've desecrated the Lord's Supper. You know, of course, this was a church with divisions. They were wealthy and they were poor. And you know, they one of the things that that uh, his, history seems to tell us is they had at the same time as a Lord's Supper what they call a love feast, so like what we do a fellowship meal. And those who had were wealthy would bring in lots of food and feast. And the poor were just left with whatever they had. It may have been, they may not have had anything to eat. And you know, Paul said, you know, there, there's some you come and, and you're you're uh, um, uh, Fool and others are hungry. And furthermore, there was sin in the church that they weren't dealing with. Remember in chapter 5, they had a fornicator in the church that needed to be voted out, and they wouldn't deal with that. And so because of this, Paul said, there's some that are weak, some that are sickly, and some that have already died because of this sin. If you want to make a feast, do it at home. But don't cause a division in the church by your feasting or by your famine as some were. So, you know, this, so this, this, was, this was, you know, the, the cause here um, is creating an opportunity for their soul searching and for their growth. You know, you ever, you ever, you ever ask yourself the question, 
and don't label me here, okay? Why did God give dietary restrictions to the children of Israel? Was it just because he didn't like them to eat certain things? Well, Deuteronomy 7.15 says this, And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and I will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay upon them all them, lay upon them all them that hate thee. You know, the children of Israel, the, if, you, if you study the, the meats and the, the things that they were allowed to eat, they were the most nutritious things with the least amount of toxins in them. When I say, preacher, we can eat anything today, why don't you eat puffer fish? Or poison ivy. Think about it. There's still things today you better not eat. And there's a lot of stuff out there that is put out as edible, which is full of toxins. In fact, Proverbs 23.20 says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous ears of flesh. So there are still some guidelines and some principles God gives us this word. And, you know, sometimes when, when we have problems or difficulties, whether it be uh, health or whether it be other things, you know, we need to stop and search our own life. Is there something in my life that's not pleasing to the Lord? By the way, just because you're having trouble doesn't mean necessarily there is something. Because number three, the third reason is God does allow or God does stand off sometimes just to test us. Just to test us. Notice verses 17 and 18. <clears throat> 17 and 18 of Psalm 10. It says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine eye to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Uh, so sometimes God does allow, uh, you know, of course, he hears the humble, and he will prepare their heart, and he will cause our, their ear to hear. But he sometimes stands afar off, it may seem, to test us. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, one of this, the one of the, one of the, I guess, um, you know, our society is moving more and more away from uh, the idea of testing or qualifying people. And that's a, that's a product of socialism. We want everybody to be equal. Everybody's not equal. Everybody's not equal. We are created equal, and we all have the same opportunities but some people are, are, you have more intellect than others. Some people have more zeal than others. Their different attitudes will take people further than others. Most 
educators will tell you that, you know, 90% of it or so is, is attitude. Uh, you know, just as we will always have the poor, you know, you, you could make everybody equal tomorrow and in five years from now or two years from now, nobody would be equal. Some would be rich and some would still be poor. And some would have lost everything you gave them to be equal with everybody else. That's just the way it is. It's because of sin nature. But, you know, with our society, uh, you know, even in our school system, the, the, they want everybody to be equal, common core and all that, you know, get away from testing. But you know what? God still tests us. God still tests us to prove us. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trialing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with wind and tossed. Now, God is going to, will, will, will test us. And he may, it seems, stand afar to test us, to prove us. Are we going to stick to him or not? We do this in life. Luke 14, 19, it says, Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to what? Prove them. That was an excuse for not going to the marriage. I go to prove them. Yeah, we, when I go to buy another car, I, usually, I like to take it for a test drive. Why am I taking it for a test drive? I want to prove it. At least a little bit, for a little few minutes anyway. Not prove all, for sure, but... You know, I want to prove it. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, and verse 16, remember the Lord said, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. See, God tests us to prove what's in our heart. So what we do in school That's what we do in business. There's certain standards in business you got to meet, and if you don't, they'll let you go. That's life. Welcome to the real world. That's what we do in school. Verse 16 again. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to the daily good at the latter end. You know, he, the, the manna, again, the manna was every day just enough for every day. And why did they have to pick it every day? To prove them. Will you obey me or not? And the very first day, some of them went out and gathered a lot to try and keep it over the next day. What did they just do? They proved that they would not trust God. You know, the whole wilderness journey was a proving ground. I mean, you come to the Red Sea, and there's the Red Sea. And why'd God say, stand still? You know, sometimes God brings us to places where we can't go anywhere. And what he's looking for is, will you trust me? I mean, it looks impossible, but will you trust me? Will you, will you walk, continue to walk in obedience to me 
even though the situation looks impossible. That's when God will do the impossible. Just trust him. He can still do it in 2018. See, he does it simply to prove us, to prove us, test us. You know, every time the children of Israel came to a difficulty in the wilderness, they cried unto Moses, and they cried unto the Lord. Usually just to Moses, and Moses would cry unto the Lord. He basically said, where are you? We don't have water. You know, they didn't come and say, Moses, would you please pray and ask the Lord to give us water? It wasn't a request of faith. It was complaining and murmuring because they didn't trust God. See, sometimes God will just say, "Just I, I think God will just stand back and say, oh, yeah, just wait. Will you trust me or not? You know, Genesis 22, we know the story. God did tempt Abraham. Now, did God know what Abraham was going to do? Yeah, he did. But Abraham needed to prove himself, his own faith, to the Lord and to the world and to us. And it proves to us, it proves to us that God will keep his word. So when it seems that God stands afar off, when it seems he's hiding his eyes, he's still there. He knows your situation. He may be testing you. Or it may be something in your life that's not pleasing the Lord and it's causing him to turn away his eyes. Or it could be you're just not willing to ask. Hearts filled with pride. You know, James 4 says, we have not because we ask not. So, is God hiding from you? Is he searching your heart? May we not give up, but trust him, even in difficult circumstances that try our faith, that we might prove our faithfulness to ourselves and prove that God is faithful and he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us. Thank you for your promises that you give us in your word. Help us, Father, just to be faithful, to trust you, even in the difficult circumstances of life, which we all face. Give us grace and strength, and help us just to, as one of David's mighty men, whose hand clave to the sword, might we cleave to the word of God trust you. We pray in Jesus' name.